Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it was one of the most difficult days in her life. We had five boys. That's how Ellie describes it. The youngest was uh, just over a month old. My husband had just lost his job, and we had no idea how we were going to pay the mortgage. And her story, like so many others during the financial crisis, was one of heartache and hardship. My husband, she explains, was a, a hospital administrator. His specialty was turning labs around. And while it wasn't uh, the most glamorous thing, six states in ten years, we followed him around from one place to another and always paid the bills. And that's why it was uh, so difficult back in 2008, uh, because she and her husband had finally found a place to call home. My feet, she says, were planted in soil I knew and loved. It felt like a dream. We had this uh, brick two-story house, fancy granite countertops, and a, and a master bathroom with, with sinks for both of us. And as someone who uh, grew up with next to nothing, she talks about how incredibly powerful that was. Gone were the days of oversized hand-me-downs, she says, back when I was too embarrassed to have people over, too ashamed to let them know where I live. But then, six months later, the financial crisis hits. Mark come home from work one day, and, and his job is just gone. You can probably imagine uh, how the rest of the story goes. A job search that turns up nothing, a, a house that lingers on the market, and then that word that, that no one wants to hear, bankruptcy. All of a sudden, she goes on, we've got nowhere to live. Now, time passes. Eventually, as she and her husband get back on her feet, and the silver lining in Allie's story is that it eventually gives her an opportunity to start a business of her own. Like, what strikes me most is what happens in the midst of it all. It's this pressure she felt, this pressure she felt to pretend like nothing was wrong. So we left our house, she tells a friend. The only thing I could think to do was tell my five boys that we were going on vacation to Grandpa's house. And then she notes just how afraid she was, afraid that people would look at her and think, you know, they're frauds, they're failures, they look like they've got it all together, but really, it's just a sham. You know, the more I think about Allie's story, the more I realize how common that sort of thing might just be. How often there's this thing in our lives, maybe it's a mistake we made, maybe it's an accident that happened, maybe it's a story from our past, whatever it is, it creates this pressure to pretend like nothing's really wrong. And that's why Allie's friend, uh, the one who recorded this interview with her, uh, goes on to give it the title, If You Only Knew. You know, it's a story like this uh, that I think we discover today. A story of this Samaritan woman who meets Jesus at the well. And this story shows us the truth about Jesus, the truth that, that Jesus knows exactly who we are, and that there is nothing in our lives, nothing we've said, nothing we've thought, nothing we've done that could ever make him love us any less. This brings us uh, to this reading from John chapter 4, and quite honestly, uh, it's this chance encounter between two people who couldn't be more different. You see, Jesus and his disciples are making their way through Samaria, this part of Palestine located between Judea in the south and, some, and uh, Galilee in the north. And as the curtain rises on today's reading, 
they stop outside this small Samaritan village. The disciples disappear, and then Jesus sits down next to the town's well. And it's at this point in the story uh, that this woman appears off in the distance. And while you might not notice some 2,000 years later, the way this scene opens uh, paints a pretty grim picture about who she is. You see, that's because uh, this woman, if you're her, you've come to this well in the middle of the day. You know, that's not when uh, normal women come to get their water. I mean, normal women come in the morning when it's cool outside, when the sun isn't beating down on your face. And it's, and it's not just about getting water from a well. It's about spending time with your friends, catching up with each other. And if you're this woman in this story, it's the first sign in this story that you're a reject in this village. But you know what we learn is that you're not just a reject in this village. I mean, you're a reject, an outcast among people like Jesus. And that's because even though you worship the God of Abraham, even though you read the books of Moses, you're a Samaritan. I mean, you're this awkward hybrid, not really a Jew, not really a Gentile. Instead, something weird in the middle, something with unclean blood. And that's why when I I think about this woman... She's just so relatable. I mean, she could be any one of us. She could be Allie. And that's because uh, we've all been there before, somewhere between awkward and, and embarrassed, wondering if there's really going to be a place for us there. And that's why what happens next is, is just so amazing. You see, Jesus approaches, and he doesn't just put you in your place. Instead, he, a Jewish man, asks you, a Samaritan, for a drink of water, and you can barely believe it. I mean, how is it, you ask him, that you, a Jew, would ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink of water? And, you know, you're, you're hoping for an explanation, something, anything to make sense of it all. Uh, but Jesus' response is pretty confusing because now, now he's offering you something to drink. And it's not just any ordinary water. He calls it living water. Everyone who drinks this water, he says, pointing at the well right next to you, will go thirsty. Whoever drinks my water will never go thirsty again. And like I said, it's pretty confusing. I mean, this guy doesn't even have a bucket. But you're tired. And you're thirsty. And so you say to him, sir, give me this water. You know, it's at this moment in the story that it happens. It's at this moment in this story that Jesus cuts through your pretending. Go, he says. Get your husband. And all of a sudden, this pit begins to form in the, the center of your stomach because, you know, you, you don't have a husband. I mean, you've, you've had husbands before, five of them, but, but the man you're living with now, he's not one of them. And what we need to remember is that it's, it's not because you've done something wrong. I mean, if you were unfaithful, you wouldn't have received a certificate of divorce. You would have been dragged in front of a council of elders. They would have given you a death sentence. No, your problem is something far more basic. You spent time with your husband, and you couldn't bear a child for him. You know, that's how the story goes with uh, the next three husbands, and now... Now you're living with this guy, and it's not because he's 
afraid to get married. It's not because he doesn't want to commit. It's not because he doesn't believe in marriage. It's, it's because your fifth husband died prematurely. And you know, this guy, his brother, was kind enough to take you in. And so there you are, standing in front of Jesus, and you're not really sure what you should say. I mean, do I let him know? Or do I just pretend? And you know, I think we've all been in these sorts of situations before, situations where there's something about us, and we're just not entirely sure how it's going to go over. I mean, these are difficult situations. And yet it's in a moment like this, when Jesus says, go get your husband, that you look at him, you come up with this half-truth and say, sir, I don't have a husband. But you see, what happens next changes your life. What happens next actually leads you to believe in him. You're right, Jesus says. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and, and the man you're with now, you're, you're not married to him, but there's this really surprising part. You see, it doesn't push him away. And it's Jesus' way of showing you that there is nothing in your life, nothing you've said, nothing you've thought, nothing you've done that could ever make him love you any less. And that's because Jesus doesn't just love the person that you promise to be. He doesn't just love the person you pretend to be. He loves all of you even the parts that you desperately want to hide from him. Now, somewhere along the way, I think it was probably when I was growing up, someone told me that forgiveness is Jesus' response to every single problem in our lives. You know, uh, the story goes something like this, you know, uh, have you ever done something you shouldn't? Have you ever uh, said something you regret? Have you ever uh, offended God or others? Because if you have there's forgiveness. Jesus promised that there's always a second chance for you. But you know, that message uh, finds a little bit of challenge in today's reading. Now, maybe you noticed it uh, because, you know, if you're the woman in today's story, if you're barren, if you can't have any children, you know, what is it exactly that forgiveness does in your life? Or, you know, if, uh, if you're Allie, if your husband has just lost his job, if uh, the bank has just taken your house away, if uh, your kids have to go and live with your grandfather, and what is it that, that forgiveness really does in your life? You see, it's uh, for reasons like this that I really appreciate today's reading. Uh, because today's reading shows us uh, that God's love doesn't just look like forgiveness for things we've done. God's love looks like understanding for who we are. Understanding that we are, are broken and flawed, hurting and sinful, messed up and quite honestly, I don't know about you, but not always completely put together. And that's why I've often said about passages like this and many more, uh, that when Jesus looks at us, what he says to you is, I know who you are. I know everything. And I love you anyway. And I think that's how uh, this passage, others like it, uh, change everything for people like you and me. I mean, it certainly changed everything in Allie's life because when we're embarrassed, when we're upset, when we're humiliated, we can actually come to Jesus. 
And we never have to wonder because the promise that Jesus makes is that there is nothing in your life that's ever going to surprise him. He knows exactly who you are. And nothing you've thought, nothing you've said, nothing you've done could ever make him love you any less. Now, in my uh, more than five years here at St. Andrew, I, I think it's actually this message more than any other uh, that I have learned the most from all of you. Yeah, I've seen it uh, in more ways than I can count, ways that are both big and small. I mean, how many thousands of dollars have all of you given to people that you don't even know? People who are, who are oftentimes half a world away simply because it's important that they know about God's love. You know, how many times have I, have I heard it said uh, that it is a priority to make sure that all people, no matter who they are, no matter what's going on in their life, are welcome here in this place? And over the years, I've learned that it's, it's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. But I so appreciate that you care about that commitment. Uh, that it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've been. It doesn't matter if you're four weeks old or, or 40 years old and you want to have a tantrum in the middle of the sermon. And that's because you know that God loves you exactly as you are. He knows that he cares about you and you're important to him. And so, you know, it's in light of uh, lessons like this one, days like today, that I pray for God's blessing on you as you continue to, to share that message, as you continue to show the world what it looks like to love and be loved by him. That in Christ, that there are no hidden places in your life. In Christ, you can always be honest. And in Christ, you never, ever need to pretend. Amen. And I may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.